today on Ag News Daily. Certainly, we're looking at extreme profit margins that they could lock in throughout the variety, uh, the majority, if you will, of this whole growing season. So what's 23 look like as you start to approach it? You know, we're here in anhydrous ammonia prices in that eleven to $1,200 range right now. Listeners, Tanner Winterhoff back after a refreshing week of vacation, joined today by Delaney Howell. We're, look at that. We got the two of us back together at the same time on an episode. For what? The first time in a long time. <laughs> yeah, the gang is back in town, Tanner. How was your vacation? It was good. It was uh, a lot focused on all the kids, my daughters and nieces and nephews. We made sure they stayed entertaining, entertained, but uh, weather was good up there in northern Minnesota to where we could just kind of hang out, spend some time around the fire and, and try to relax. That's good. I'm sure you weren't probably completely unplugged. I know you texted us a few times while you were out last week, but we tried to leave you alone for the most part. It's hard to be unplugged anymore these days. I think a lot of our listeners would, would also vouch for that. Yes, it really is, Tanner. It is, especially when you host a podcast about news and I feel like you have to be plugged into what's going on in the news <laughs> and reading what's going on. So I'm not sure how much you paid attention to the news last week, Tanner, but we have fresh news that a group of U.S. lawmakers are once again in Taiwan after China has announced more military drills in response. We've seen a group of five U.S. lawmakers head to Taiwan and this is, of course, just a couple of weeks after Nancy Pelosi had her trip to Taiwan, the first time in 25 years that someone of her ranking had visited Taiwan. And this has continued to infuriate the Chinese government, Tanner. Yeah, I did catch a little bit of that, uh, which it doesn't seem like is a good thing for such a large trade partner of ours. But I don't know how much they can withstand to handle because China's central bank unexpectedly cut rates after data showed that their economic activity slowed here during July. Um, Obviously, that's including consumer spending, factory output, reigniting concerns about a global downturn because China is such a large player in the world. They are the world's second largest economy and uh, clearly already under strain from their zero COVID policy and the real estate crisis that we've talked about. Um, But what triggered or what did hit right after this triggered rate reduction was the prices to oil. That's uh, this article here is stating the prospect of lower demand sent oil prices sliding more than 5%, pushing Texas, West Texas intermediate crude to below $90 a barrel. A big jump or a big drop there as far as those markets. So again, July data signaled the post-lockdown recovery was fizzling out in the Chinese economy and central banks there are offering maybe a little bit of an insight as to what rising debt problems and inflation might be coming down the pipe for the Chinese government. Yeah, so they're having the opposite problem, right? Because here in the United States, they increased uh, interest rates to kind of stifle spending because we had lots of payments and China's having the opposite problem. Is that a good summary of that, Tanner? Yeah, that would be a very good comparison. They're trying to drive more economic uh, incentive. They're trying to make it cheaper to borrow money or cheaper to spend money uh, to stimulate the growth where we are trying to stave off inflation, which comes from overspending 
or lack of availability for goods. So the momentum of the economic situation there is definitely slowed versus what we're seeing here in the U.S. A good heads up. Thanks, Tanner. I saw that piece of news as well, but I knew you'd have a good take on what it meant exactly, Tanner. But we know that things have been heating up in the Corn Belt as of last week. We saw some really hot temperatures. I went to the Iowa State Fair on Saturday, and it was quite a hot day, probably the bad day to pick to go to the fair. But following a rather hot start to August, we will see temperatures in the Corn Belt somewhat uh, wane here for this week moving forward, although the week ending August 13th was the 14th warmest and 14th wettest in the last 30 years. So it ranked pretty much right in the middle there as a whole. But as we look at kind of the east and west, obviously, they are having very different weather patterns. I talked to a farmer, Tanner, from southwest Iowa at the fair on Saturday, and he said if they don't get rain here probably within the next week or so, they will not have a soybean crop to harvest. He said basically rain would look like it was coming towards them and then skirt around them on either side. So I know we certainly have some continued dry pockets all across both sides of the Corn Belt. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of pictures on Twitter of grain fill issues in the corn crop. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, I got a couple of stories here that I think could link together really well as part of a transition. Uh, Meteorologists are warning of a tropical storm system that is potentially bringing flooding rainfall rainfall to southern Texas and northern Mexico. Uh, Some of the rainfall here in the southern portions, such as Corpus Christi, was more than three inches. Uh, Looks like the port of Arkansas, Texas, was located right there on the Gulf Coast, reported four inches of rainfall. But that is pushing up through Texas and northern Mexico, which could potentially bring some more heavy rainfall and flooding issues to portions of the U.S. that have not seen rain and might be able to stifle a little bit of the drought, which spins right off into the cotton article that I found on Successful Farming that says U.S. cotton growers will harvest a drought-shrunken crop of 12.57 million barrels, the smallest crop since 2009. So this rain's coming a little bit too late as Texas is the number one producer and would account for nearly a 5 million bale decline in production from last year. So Texas was forecasted to harvest 2.9 million bales compared to 7.7 in 2021. The production is projected to fall 28% on total due to a lot of those drought conditions. It says right here, the conditions were so poor in Texas that we expect the abandonment to be historically high, says the USDA. That is it's not ideal news, Tanner. It is not. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what that does to the cotton market, which obviously translates mm-hmm. into clothing and more down the road. It certainly does, Tanner. But I've got an update here on the Inflation Reduction Act that was officially passed on Friday afternoon after nearly a week in the House. It did pass with a 220 to 207 vote after we saw it pass nearly a week prior in the Senate. And of course, as we look at what's in the bill for agriculture specifically, there are a few things that we've talked about on the podcast so far But the goal is to, of course, reduce 
inflation. And they're going to do that through a couple of different ways. But agriculture in particular will be impacted by what's going on in the biofuels portion of the bill. There will be a dollar a gallon tax credit for biomass-based diesel, a $5.3 billion farm debt package, and a corporate minimum tax of 15% will cover the bill's $740 billion price tag. So we will see taxes likely go up in that vein, Tanner. But as far as the farm debt package in particular, we don't have a ton of details yet about how that will get rolled out or how you will qualify for that package. And it's also peculiar to think that will we be paying that debt package with the corporate taxes that we are paying if we are a corporate entity? Yeah, that will be something to watch. And I'm, I'm assuming we'll get more clarity, uh, but it is good to see that ag is included. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the EPA senior advisor has been out on tour. His uh, name is Rod Snyder, or told the audience that ethanol is still a focus, even though a lot of this administration continues to point towards electric vehicles. And the Biden administration's investing billions of dollars in electric, as we've talked about here on the podcast, But that doesn't mean that they don't favor ethanol. Snyder has said that it is not a battle of electric vehicles versus biofuels. This is a all-above approach. I don't know what I can do to penetrate the countryside, says Snyder, but I am saying it as many times as I can that we are spending just as much time focused on the future of ethanol than we are on going electric. So again, your Inflation Reduction Act that you just talked about has billions of dollars incentives in there for electric vehicles, which includes a tax credit towards the purchase of those. But as you just reported on, biofuel producers are getting more support towards ethanol and blender pump infrastructure. So it's good to see that there is still a bit of a focus, um, but seems like a statement there of uh, wanting to communicate that it is not one or the other. It's an all above approach. Absolutely, Tanner. And uh, as you look at an approach to, of course, managing your crops, fertilizer continues to be a topic of discussion. That was a sad segue, Tanner, but I tried my best. (laughs) Regardless um, of my sad segue, nitrogen fertilizer prices have risen from increased European natural gas prices as we continue to watch uh, Russia, you know, with Gazprom and Nord One having impacts to the EU's fertilizer and natural gas supply. In July, we saw general nitrogen prices increase due to spillover from continued developments in the European gas prices. And conversely, we saw a large correction to UAN values uh, here in the United States, Tanner. We're still continuing to see falling urea and UAN prices as we try to get back to maybe more normal prices. And prepay pricing also is starting to come in a little bit lower as you look ahead already to next year. But folks are suggesting that we might see that correct once again and head back the other direction as we're continuing to watch natural gas prices uh, rear their ugly head in the EU. Yeah, that's again something I think all of our listeners are going to keep a close eye on. And maybe take advantage of a little bit of a dip here before things go back up. The last piece I have to share is that we talked about DTN's virtual crop tour going on last week. 
but the annual Pro Farmer Crop Tour starts this week. They are going to report on over 2,000 fields across Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, Ohio, and South Dakota. Again, that starts next week, August 22nd through the 25th, just ahead of the Farm Progress Show. The tour will be followed and traced on AgWeb and AgDay, of course, all the social media platforms that you can find. Uh, they do have nightly reports. If you want to attend the in-person evening reports, it looks like they will be in Noblesville, Indiana, Bloomington, Illinois, Iowa City, Iowa, Grand Island, Nebraska, Nebraska City, Nebraska, and Spencer, Iowa, with the finale meeting up in Rochester, Minnesota. So another boots on the ground tour. We'll see what type of results they take a look at. It'll be really telltale for the signs that we've been reporting weather-wise to see how things are going to shape up here in the Corn Belt. And we're probably going to have somebody on to talk about the tour next week from the ground, Tanner. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I am as well. I'm also looking not forward to chatting markets today, but we are chatting with Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. And he's one of my favorite people to chat markets with. But today was an ugly day in the market, so I'm not certainly excited to talk about that topic in particular as you look at where the markets left us today, trading on the fact that we got some rain over the weekend and are going to have maybe some cooler temperatures here before this week in August. December corn down 14 cents to close at 628. New crop soybeans closed 42 cents lower to close at 1412. Chicago September wheat down five and a quarter cents to close at $8. And in livestock today, we saw mixed trade as uh, lean hogs were higher and live and feeder cattle were lower. October live cattle down 70 cents on the day to close at a buck 43.80. September feeders down 37 and a half cents to close at a buck 83. And October lean hogs added 55 cents today to close at 100. 57. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Matt Bennett. Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting today with agmarket.net's Matt Bennett. Matt, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. I love talking to you, but I'm not sure I want to talk about markets too badly today because they had an ugly day in the grains. Yeah, it wasn't a whole lot of fun uh, here to start the week. But, you know, last week we finished in a good in good fashion. Uh, you know, you look and see how the markets acted last week and corn closed higher, you know, every day. I mean, heck, uh, corn had closed higher on these corn eight straight sessions. You know, you look over at, uh, you know, November beans and why they didn't close higher every day last week. We picked up quite a bit of ground from the start of the week to the end of the week. So, Gave most of that up here today, but, uh, you know, the week's still young, and uh, there's a variety of reasons, of course, why we uh, moved lower. So wasn't overly shocked that we saw the kind of weakness we saw to start the week here. When we jump into those reasons, how much is weather a factor in the markets today? You know, anytime you come in on a weekend and you look at the radar and the areas that are driest west of the Corn Belt, you know, that we've been talking about quite a bit, uh, they, if they're getting rain, you know that the markets are going to really struggle. So obviously there's other things going on, but uh, the specific questions about weather, 
you know, did weather play a role? And I, I mean, I can't imagine that it wouldn't. And so, of course, you get into this time of year, uh, obviously parts of Iowa, a good chunk of Nebraska on dry land, especially really struggling. Uh, you look at the drought monitor, you look at the soil moisture uh, index, you know, and it, it looks rough, you know, uh, those areas, I don't feel confident, you know, that you're going to change the corn crop dramatically for some of those folks. And that's unfortunate. Uh, maybe, maybe you will uh, salvage uh, some, but I think with soybeans, of course, you know, it's still, there's still time. You know, you talk to a lot of producers who say, well, this bean crop's hanging on, waiting on rain. You know, you go ahead and you throw an inch or two, or if a person gets lucky and they get more than that, uh, inches of rain, uh, there's no question that it can make a big impact on, on your final yield. So uh, uh, no question that this rain uh, had an impact on the market, or market here to start the week. Yeah, and as you look at you know, forecasting a long ways out, Matt, we've started to hear and see a lot more reports coming out that they think 2023 is going to have a big shift back the other way. You know, U of I, I think just put something out maybe last week or two weeks ago saying farm profitability is going to swing 80% uh, for 2023. When you look at where markets are at right now, awfully volatile, when do we start to see some of that volatility taken out of the markets? And do you think we're going to see what U of I is predicting? You got to go back and think about how 22 transpired. And so a lot of producers at this time last year uh, were faced with the idea of, do I go ahead and prepay my inputs or do I go ahead and wait? And quite frankly, a lot of folks were able to put uh, N, P, and K on for, you know, maybe seven to $800 an acre, uh, not an acre, seven, uh, I got uh, confused there, seven to $800 for, for instance, anhydrous ammonia, you know, and then you come in and you put on, oh, I don't know, uh, let's say a 250 and 250 potash in a DAT program, something like that was costing producers, oh, anywhere from $300 an acre, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. But the problem is you got into the harvest time, you know, and you're looking at that program being you know, another $150 an acre higher than that. And so it's very frustrating to see $700 anhydrous on prepay. And then at times people paying 15 and $1,600 an acre. A lot of the folks that went ahead and prepaid certainly were looking at extreme profit margins that they could lock in throughout the variety, uh, the majority, if you will, of this whole growing season. So what's 23 look like as you start to approach it? You know, we're here in anhydrous ammonia prices in that 11 to $1,200 range right now. Uh, but you look at uh, December corn at 5.96. As I run the math, it's not too bad as far as profit margins. Are we going to slash from 80%? Uh, that's not what I'm particularly coming up with right now. But I'm not factoring in what uh, you know the landlords might be looking for. So there's no question that if you're in an area where the crop is a pretty decent crop. Uh, those conversations are going to be tough ones to have this year because there could be some extreme profit margins this year, no question about it. But uh, it's really hard to answer that right now. But if I could turn that just a little bit, Delaney, I think the mm -hmm. thing that we need to understand as producers, I don't want to sell a bunch of 596 corn and not lock in my fertilizer, or I don't want to lock in all my fertilizer, more importantly, without selling some 596 corn basis to board. Because uh, the simple fact of the matter is this, uh, if you sell too much corn and your fertilizer skyrockets, you did not take advantage of locking in a ratio on enough bushels that you won't get strangled. Uh, and, on, and conversely, you know, if you lock in too much fertilizer and then the price of corn plummets, that could be a devastating impact on a producer's operation. It does. And if we don't have support from one of our biggest export destinations, China, because 
of maybe a signaled weakness in their economy now with lowering rates, where where does demand come? What what are you hearing on your side of things as to what signals are being sent coming out of China? You know, there's a lot of mixed signals. For instance, a couple of weeks ago, of course, Speaker of the House Pelosi went to Taiwan, you know, and you saw the saber rattling, if you will. They were saying, hey, we don't even know if China's going to want to buy much off of us. And since she's been over there, they've actually bought corn and beans. Uh, but uh, I guess to answer the question, it gets a little more complicated. So, yeah, their economy has shown a lot of signs of slowing down more than what they feel comfortable with. So they come in lower rates, which I think what that was a signal to the rest of the world is, is a little bit of a, oh, I don't know, uh, you know, an alarm, if you will. Hey, what happens if this huge demand driver we have of 1.3 billion people and, uh, you know, they're uh, increasing uh, uh, appetite for protein, for instance, and just, uh, uh, you know, wanting to live better lives, uh, quite frankly, uh, what happens if that gets taken away? And so there's no doubt that it's a concern. Uh, at the same time, uh, it's a different day and age now where I don't think that um, the Chinese people as a whole are going to uh, back off of their consumption. Uh, it's going to be a little harder, in my opinion, for the, the country of China to be able to slow down uh, their economy or, you know, their, their case, if you will. And so I think in the past, that's something they could maybe control a little bit more than what they can right now. But my personal opinion is that they're still going to have a pretty big appetite. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see, for instance, I think they're still going to be in looking for soybeans. Uh, but we have to remember as producers again, and I, I don't want to, you know, I want I hope I answered the question first of all, but I want to look forward to as a producer, you know, I'm looking at $14 and 12 cents for beans on the board for 12, uh, 22. You look at 23, you know, you go out there and you're still 1343. What are the projections for Brazil? Because China is going to want to buy a lot of soybeans off of Brazil this year. Some of these folks are talking up to 154 million metric ton crops. So the U.S. producers got to understand that Chinese demand is extremely important. The other side of things is uh, are other people in the world, for instance, Brazil, going to be producing enough supply to be able to satisfy their demand. I don't think they can satisfy all of it, but by all means, considering the, uh, the issues they had with their first crop soybeans last year, it, it sure appears to me that they're going to be able to satisfy much more demand from China than what they did a year ago. So if Chinese demand's tempered even in the least, it's certainly going to hurt U.S. exports. Now, Matt, as we uh, think about last Friday's WASDE report, it feels like it was already a lot longer than Friday, uh, but we did see USDA adjust corn yields just slightly, but nonetheless, they did adjust those. How much more do you think they need to come down, or do you think where they came in on Friday is is accurate right now? Yeah, that's a great question, and what I've said all along, Delaney, is that Here's the thing. Uh, there are folks in my part of the world that had a really good weather uh, pattern this year. I would say as a producer, uh, I've been farming for, uh, you know, several years now. I don't want to age myself too much, but I can tell you this is the best weather pattern I've ever had as a farmer. Okay, so there are parts of Illinois that I think will be really good. I look at, for instance, Iowa at 205, Illinois at 203. I would probably bet money that Illinois is actually going to out-yield Iowa this year uh, because I think Illinois was undercut just a little bit on how good their crop is. There's parts of Illinois that will be record. There's no question in my mind. 
there's parts of Iowa that are going to, to really struggle. And so what I've said all along is it's going to take us quite a bit of time to really get a firm grasp on what this yield is going to be because the difference between the haves and the have-nots are going to be so wide. And so 175.4 to me was was probably a fair number to come in at. Uh, you know, we actually projected a 176 for this report just simply due to the fact that we didn't think the USDA would uh, would would adjust things a whole lot. You're looking at fairly similar condition ratings as what you saw a year ago, even though they came in at 174 and change a year ago. We didn't think they'd come in that low. So if I had to guess, where do we go from here? I would say we're really going to struggle on corn to get above the number that we printed for, for August. Now, if you remember last year, we were sub 175 in August. We ended with a 177. But last year's crop, sure as heck, to me, seemed like it, it finished a heck of a lot better than what this crop has had as far as weather's concerned with last half of July, first half of August. That's the most important uh, time, uh, especially this year. You can extend that into August because this corn crop went in the ground late. But uh, my thought process is what we end up with a 175 on, on maybe a half a bushel uh, on either side of that. I don't really look for a whole lot of change moving forward. It'd be very interesting, though. And uh, like I said, it's going to take us a long time to figure it out. And I kind of feel like combines are going to have to roll before we really start to feel comfortable, you know, about where this crop's going to be headed. And that stability will also help our listeners that are interested in the livestock complex. It's, it seems that demand is remaining strong, you know, as it typically is this time of year. But what do you see happening in those markets? You know, with livestock, the way that I've, I've talked about this for quite a while is this. Um, whenever I look, for instance, at cattle, you know, the unfortunate reality, in, uh, especially Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, is that there's a fair amount of cattle getting liquidated. And unfortunately, not all of those cattle are getting moved to new homes. Some of them, uh, you know, we're slaughtering maybe a few more cattle than what we'd like to see. Uh, but the simple fact of the matter is if, if we can't find uh, feed for them and uh, uh, it, it's a very unfortunate situation that we're in. And so I think moving out past the first of the year, you're looking at a, a pretty dynamic situation. And so, you know, what are the factors that we're going to have to see to see, for instance, so, um, you know, for you to get uh, February cattle uh, significantly higher than the 154 and change that we settled at here to start the week. I actually think that might be 15 bucks too low whenever we get out to February next year. And I know that's a big number. I could see $170 fats moving forward. And here's why. If you can keep the equities markets from falling apart, first of all, and second of all, if this corn crop is indeed a 155, 156, in my opinion, then you're probably looking at, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, or, I'm sorry, 175, 176. You're probably looking at a situation where um, you're going to be able to have enough profitability in this cattle at a time uh, whenever folks don't have the numbers. We just don't have the numbers moving forward and the demand and the appetite is still re- very, very strong. But again, one word of caution is if you watch this cattle market, fats especially, and you watch the equities markets, I'll tell you what, it's, uh, you know, usually you run those hand in hand. So if the consumer feels really good about their situation, typically they're going to want to go out on Friday night and eat a T-bone steak. And if that's the case, demand stays strong. I've got to think that these fats are going to be really, really good property. I think cattle complex as a whole will be good property. If I look at hogs, you know, that front month for the longest time finally went off the board. August was wearing 122, pretty darn rich, you know, and then you take all the way down to $89 whenever August went off the board is where Dece was. 
it was kind of nice to see here to start the week, you know, that you took October up a little bit. Does October get up to that 120 level? I got a hard time believing that that's going to happen. Uh, we've had plenty of demand there for pork, but uh, and numbers haven't been real rosy there as well. But I've got to think 120 was plenty rich. I don't know that we see numbers like that anytime soon. It'd, it'd take a heck of a rally to see it. Well, Matt, before we let you go, I know you're going to be doing some traveling and folks uh, might be able to see you at Farm Progress Show. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. Yeah, I mean, August is always kind of busy. I'm actually going to Dakota Fest this week. I'll be there on uh, the 17th. Uh, I've got to do some stuff the following week and then Farm Progress Show all three days. I'll be speaking uh, actually for Case. Uh, they've got me coming in to uh, talk markets on the, They've got a little outdoor stage. They had last year a uh, Farm Progress Show in Decatur. And uh, doing the same thing there in Iowa this year. So it'll be kind of really enjoyable, uh, uh, you know, uh, not too long. I think we're going to try to keep around a half an hour or so. We're going to try to give a little update on what's going on with the markets. And then, of course, we'll be doing some stuff with uh, other folks as well there at Farm Progress Show. But they will be posting those times for case. So if a person wants to come by and uh, hear about the markets, uh, I'm sure that they'll have those times posted. Fantastic. Matt, well, thanks again for joining us today on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, there you go, Delaney. That is a wrap up on a Market Monday episode. It's good to be back in the saddle and it's good to get some insight as to why the markets are doing what they're doing. It certainly is, Tanner. There is a lot to stay on top of right now as markets are continuing to be extremely volatile. But will that last? That's going to be a question I think we continue to have here on the podcast. Absolutely. But for today, I think that's it. It's a wrap. So what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.